basically just talked about one thing last week and that is the foundation of our faith. And we focused on this verse in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter made this statement, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus had asked the question, what are people saying about me? And then he asked, and who are you saying that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the God, living God. And he said to him, it's on this rock, that I'm going to build my church. He also said to Peter that he was going to give him the keys of the kingdom. And today we are going to read the story where that actually happened. We're not going to read the whole story because there is so much of it. But you remember that the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. We talked about how that um, he went to the cross after that and then he rose again from the dead and we had this little act, didn't we, about um, the handprints in Jesus' hands and how that they were convinced, that the disciples and others were convinced by that when they realised that he was the one who had been through death and had returned from death. He had broken the power of death. Amazing story, wasn't it not? So we only covered one point last week. We're going to cover two points today, hopefully. That might mean that we're getting a little bit better. Who knows? But um, we'll try and we'll see how we go with this. Um, this in Acts chapter 2 is, where, is on the day of Pentecost when um, after Jesus had gone back to heaven, then the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem until this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be given and that happened and there was all sorts of uh, really dramatic things that did happen like the tongues of fire that came and settled on the disciples and the tongues of the, of the disciples and others who were there and who spoke in all sorts of different languages and there was something like about 3,000 people standing around seeing all of these things and at the end of that time Peter steps forward and he speaks to those 3,000 probably more than 3,000 but there was 3,000 that responded uh, on that particular day and he talked to them and he gave them firstly a history lesson and we can't read the whole sermon but I want to read the beginning of it and I want to read the end of it because it has to do with what we're going to talk about today and so in verse 22 Peter steps up and he says this. He says, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his pre-arranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. The help of, with the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. And then down at verse 36, we jump forward a little bit here, and he finishes up by saying this, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus who you crucified 
to be both Lord and Messiah. And so Peter here is actually reinforcing what we talked about last week when Jesus said that he, um, Peter said to Jesus that he was um, the Son of God. And Jesus said that this was the rock on which he was going to build his church. And here uh, he, uh, he says to Israel, he says, Know for certain that God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this is what Peter says. He says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at that, just for a moment. There might be something new in there that you haven't really thought about much up until now. We're going to be talking today about believing and being baptised. You might not have heard too much about that word baptise before. What does it actually mean? Baptism is a word which comes from the Greek which means that you get a, a garment or something and you poke it down inside a liquid which has got dye in it and when you pull it up it's changed colour. It might be purple, it might be blue and it might have been white before. All right, That's where the word actually comes from. Now baptism is something that we start to hear about right at the beginning of of Jesus' ministry. Um, in fact, in John's ministry, where John the Baptist was baptising people in preparation for people coming, for Jesus' coming, and uh, for bringing people to Jesus. Okay? They needed to clean up their act, their way of life, in preparation for the fact that the Messiah was coming. But right at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus makes this comment. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey my commandments that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, if we go to the equivalent end verses of Mark, we read this. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And then he says this, he says, anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. So do you get that? He says, anybody who believes and is baptised will be saved, but then it says anybody who refuses to believe will be condemned. So there is the picture. Believe and baptised equals saved. What if a person only believes and is not baptised? So what happens to them? First of all, the word saved, what does that mean? The word saved is that Jesus was trying to save us from a lost eternity and secure for us an eternity in heaven and give us new life. That's saved, all right? And he said, believed and bapt- a person who believes and is baptised will be saved. But if they 
don't believe, they continue to be condemned. So I want to ask you the question, I want to just have a bit of a discussion this morning. What if a person believes but is not baptised? What happens to them on the basis of what you have just read? Anybody like to have a guess about that? Yeah. The word baptised is not actually in there. That's right. So why why do we actually do we actually need to be baptised then? Let's go let's go back to another another story where Jesus was actually hanging on the cross. And there were two other people that uh, that died that day as well, weren't they? Yeah. One of them believed, didn't he? Yeah. But what did Jesus say to that man? Did he say to him, hey, um, all things being equal, I probably should be taking you and baptising you right now, but we're both tied up a little bit. I can't quite do that right now. Couldn't, could he? And so he never mentions that at all, does he? So we need to pursue just a little bit further why we get baptised and what it actually means. Years ago, when my family was, was growing up, my two oldest ones were going to a youth Bible study, Bible group together, Bible class. And in that course, they studied baptism. They um, decided, both of them actually, decided in the end that, uh, that they wanted to do that. My oldest daughter went to the elders as was the process there and, and asked if she could be baptised and they talked to her and then Julie, the, the baptism occurred. She was baptised. My son, Wade, he decided that he also wanted to be, be baptised and he also went to the elders and, uh, and asked to be baptised. But you have to understand something about my boy. He was a bit of a joker, all right? And they basically didn't believe him. And they sent him away and told, told him to come back when he was ready. Well, I was, as a parent, I was a little bit disappointed, but, you know, um, I didn't, want to, didn't interfere with that at all. And as time went by, he left and he went off up to Christchurch and as a grown-up boy, all right, and we observed and... When he went up there, we, you know, as a parent, you often wonder what's going to happen to him when they leave home, don't you? They might go good, they might go bad. Well, he went off to Christchurch, and as a young Christian, he really put his roots down up there. And he proved that, not that he was trying to prove, but as a parent, I saw that he really had quite a deep faith. And he got in, and I remember him, having, him and I having discussions at one stage when when he had come down home and he was telling me about how that he was just so enjoying all of these things that were happening in his life and he joined up with prison, a prison fellowship for, uh, in the youth prison and he was going in there and witnessing to these people and it was just so absolutely grand until one day I said, why don't, you know, this business about, you know, you, were, you asked for baptism but it didn't actually happen. Why don't you revisit that? 
And I was quite disappointed because he said, nah, I've been rejected twice. He says, I'm not going to go there anymore. And then there was that dreaded plane crash and that was out of the picture and we could never go back there. So the question is, he, would, he believed and he was never baptised. Does it matter? Well, if it, was, if it, it does matter because Jesus gave those instructions, didn't he? He gave those instructions that we should baptise all, all new disciples, make disciples and baptise them. So here's the next question then. Who is baptism actually for? Is it for God? Who would say that it was for God? Is it? Eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So is it for the people who are watching? Yeah? Yeah? Or is it for you? So the actual act of doing it, where is, if you like, the, what is the primary purpose? Who was the, uh, yeah, is it for God to see? Is it for people to see? Or is it for you to display? What's the advantage of it for you? This is what it actually means. We'll come back and we'll answer that just in a moment. It says in Colossians chapter 2, is my slide behind me the same as what I've got down here? I hope it is, yeah. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised and with him you you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So the purpose of baptism then, kind of, for you, it's like it's like being it's like starting off your new life, right? Yeah, it's it is taking your old life and dealing with it, and you are making the decision that you are now you now have a new life because you've trusted the mighty power of God and he has raised him from the dead. So you're aligning yourself with the fact that Jesus Christ, he died and he rose from the dead. Now let's have another uh, look at the next verse here. This explains it a, a lot deeper. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as Christ raised him from the dead, by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So, just uh, explaining this verse, this is what it's saying. When you decide to become a Christian, and then you step into the river, the pool, or whatever you choose to do it with, 
and the person doing the baptizing puts you down underneath the river or the water, it is like you are saying that old life of mine, that sin, the mistakes, and all, all the things that are associated with my past life that I'm not proud of at all, is now buried in the bottom of the river. And when you come up out of the river, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we also now live new lives. And so when you step out there, um, you, have, you have said that this is what's happening. My old life is gone and I have now buried it in the bottom of the river. And when you come up again, this is the new life and, and the power that Jesus gives you, you will live that new life. And so that is the purpose of baptism. I tried to think about what it could relate to in real life and I thought about signing a deed of sale. But it's not really like signing a deed of sale because the deed of sale is like a legal thing, isn't it? It's totally binding. But, you know, a few Sundays ago we um, handed around a clipboard here uh, to take some names to go and, to go and join up with this cook-up that we had out the back here a few Saturdays ago and also the firewood day. And as you put your, some of you might have put your name on that um, clipboard to say, yes, I'm going to show up and I'm going, to, I'm going to join in with that. And that was a statement of intent. And it is more like that. I didn't put my name on that clipboard because right at the moment I'm about as useful in firewood as a, an electric chainsaw in the back of the wop-wops. But for others of you, you knew what you could do. And so you wrote it down and I'm sure that some of you went home afterwards and said, I put my name down there so I better show up. All right? And baptism really is like that. Yes, God sees right into your heart. And the people who are watching are observing like witnesses to a signature. But it's really for you. It's really for you. Because the fact that you have gone through with that baptism, you have made a statement of intent. And for those who may have missed out for whatever reason, it doesn't, it doesn't make them so that they are not saved. You know, believe and be, believe and be baptised are saved, but not believe, of course, they are not saved. But the baptism secures in your mind, makes a, makes a statement to those who are watching, and because of that, reinforces in your heart that that's the way that you want to live. One more verse. This is what Peter wrote about it. Peter said, and, what, what, and that water is a picture of baptism. Now, just to get the connection to this verse here, he's been talking about what happened way back in early history when, on the time of Noah's flood, all right? and the way that the flood came and washed everybody else away, but the boat, the boat carried Noah and his family, and he came out the other side of that flood. And he says, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Saves you? 
Is that kind of going back on what we said just a moment ago? No, not quite. Not by removing the dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So everything is about that, isn't it? When we come up out of the water, it is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead that it means something to us. And so when we come out out of the water, our intentions and the, with the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives us, yeah, we can move on into that new life. And so that's all I really want to say on that one. But I want to go on to something else now, which also is a, a, new, is a step for new believers, first steps of our faith. And I want to read you a story about Mary and Martha and Jesus. Some of you will know the story. It's quite a familiar story. Uh, if you haven't, the story is this. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where there was a woman named Martha who welcomed him into their home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? My sister's just sitting here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. But Jesus said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and you're upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if I were to ask you today, how many of you were a Mary and how many of you were a Martha? How, much, how many of you would say, I really am a Martha? I also would have to put my hand up and say I'm a male version of Martha. We get busy, don't we? We know what we think we should be doing and we're busy doing it and we don't take that time out to do what Mary did. What Mary did was really, really special. And in our Christian lives, we need to take something from, Martha, from Mary. Now, this happened a long time ago, something like 2,000 years ago, but I've um, asked Mary if she could come back again today and, um, and sit with me and we could have a little bit of a talk about what actually happened way back there and how it affects us today. So this is Mary today and which side are you going to sit on? Do you? I, I've got my mic, you just need to be holding that. Is it turned on? It's turned on, so you just come and do what Mary did. Okay, this is modern Mary, so before I be Mary, I'm a Kim Clark. So Ian got the Joker son, so he got the Joker wife. So to react, uh, to re, how to say, um, sorry, what is that? Huh? Like uh, to, oh man, my English, to echo, echo, to echo uh, Paddy's hallelujah and uh, Ian's uh, baptism. You know, I, I'm going to tell you a story. This is a real, and I heard it, and I think some of you heard it. If I uh, say something wrong, you correct me, okay? There is a story, real one, in America. 
their church that if you come to church and you accept Jesus Christ, you got to be baptized. Okay? And then here one day, there's a homeless man came in, you know, and after uh, the speaker spoke, spoke or whatever, and then he went to baptize. He's a homeless man, dirty man, you know, homeless you can imagine. But after he became a Christian, he went to baptize. So where baptized go? Pum, into the water. So he jumped into the water and he don't know anything because he's a, a homeless person, you know. And then he come out from the water, he said, hold up, hold up. You know, instead of hallelujah, he said, hot dog. Because he, he don't know the Christian words, you know. Christian know how to say hallelujah. And these homeless men, they don't know anything about Christian. So they say, hot dog. Okay. So now I'm a Mary, I have to... What? That was not in the script, by the way. <laughs> But Mary, if you like to just come and try and imitate what... (laughs) So to try and translate that into what we do nowadays, we've just got four questions here. So you, you and I, in our reading times and shared times and prayer times. What are some of the things that we like to do as a couple? Oh, we always talk, of course, eh? Talk no stop. And then we read together and then we pray together and we have um what do you call that? Uh couple Bible couple devotional Bible. So make sure we are couple forever. And then we got um uh, sometimes we do Sometimes we listen to the radio, but Ian said, put it down. And <laughs> we have a discussion together, we, we, we pray together, we discuss, and uh, yeah, that's what we do, yeah. you know? Yeah, got to stop. Yeah. And, and sometimes like, we get about five sermons in a day. Yeah, that's quite something, really. But anyway, we enjoy what we do uh, in our reading together, but essentially as we do that, who are our conversations between? Oh, between you and me. Yeah. Is that talking too much? Yeah. But it's good, it's good. So, we... it's, so basically it is horizontal, isn't it? Yeah. So as we read together, and sometimes we are doing questions out of courses and stuff as well, but as we read together and as we talk together, the conversation is between you and me. Yeah. yeah. And we pray for you guys too, okay? You're yeah. involved. Yeah. Sometimes. And when we... Yeah. And sure, when we, when we pray, then it's vertical, all right? Yeah. But as we talk and study together and read together, uh, it is horizontal, all right? Yeah. So to be more like Mary, what else do we need to do? Uh, we have to uh, have our own separate quiet time. And um, we have to study by ourselves. You know, so like me, I'm a lady, some of the lady knows that we have a Latio 365, which is uh, every morning you, you know, you read, you pray, and it's all about ladies, you go away. And uh, the work for today, or daily bread, so, yeah. And I, uh, Dana put me into that, um, uh, what do you call that, Bible app, and then we can read the Bible 
uh, whole Bible in a year, uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's important, isn't it? If we want to do what Mary did and have that time with Jesus, we need to do that on our own. That's what we're saying, isn't it? Yeah. You need to do that on our own. And there's times when you need to separate out. Sure, the couple's thing, if you're able to do that, is great. It's good, and we get so much value out of that. But that, that's why we call it quiet time, isn't it? Where we just we get away from all of those other distractions, and we read, and we listen, and we pray to God. So if we are having our own separate reading five times then, who is the, the conversation between us then? Oh, like between. we two, we are like that. But if I and God, and then, yeah, it's a sweet, sweet time. Different, different feeling, you know. You, you, you feel your soul being fully, how to say it, like um, connect with God. And it's a very special one, and it gives you peace. And so, my conversation to God. So, yeah. And so your conversation, conversation to God. Yeah, too. so mm-hmm. the conversation then is vertical, right? Only me and God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's only me and God in that. There's only Kim and God in that. One day I was trying to do this while I was off work, and of course, we're under each other's feet all the time for those three months that I was off work. And I remember asking Kim one day, uh, when she when she planned uh, if she planned to go for a walk anytime soon because we indirectly he's chasing me away you better get up <laughs> we worked we worked it out very well yeah but we have got to just take our time take our time away and be completely on our own and share that time only as Mary did with Jesus and so just to finish off then. Um, but you, this is what Paul wrote to Timothy. You can just stay there if you like, because we're just about done. Um, this is what Paul wrote to Timothy, a young believer, and he was uh, he was becoming a young pastor in training, if you like. Not that it was official in those days, but he was learning the ropes to be able to take the gospel out himself and do all the things that Paul was doing. And Paul said to him, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they're true. You know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And it references his mother and his grandmother there who taught him so well. They have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. Okay, so Craig, it's all yours. Thanks.